work. Right? You guys are probably exhausted from all this talk about work. Anyways, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here right now in our midst. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that as the body comes together as one, it's something special. And we thank you that in our worship and in our praise, we gave you something to inhabit, something that you can rest in. We've given you a home, and you are free to be who you are. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Bring revelation. Peel off the layers of the onion so that we can see our true identity this morning. In Christ Jesus, amen. Amen. So, so far, this is week six, right? This is week six, and so far we've looked at the Trinity. We looked at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we've seen that from the very beginning they were workers. They created. And then God turned and turned us into his creation, and he said, let us make man in our image, his image. But he was said our image. And so we were created in his image, and if he's a worker, if he's a creator, if he's a doer, we are created to be workers. We are created to be creator, create, to create. We are to be doers. And we were created to work, and we, we found out that work is not a bad thing. And we should, really, we should really ask ourselves, if you think work is a burden, if you think work is a negative word, you really need to ask yourself, where did you get this idea about work? Who told you that work is a bad thing? Who told you work is a burden? Can it be tiring? Yeah. But it doesn't have to be a burden. You can find joy in your work. And that's one of the main things that people need to find out is when you go off and find an occupation, you just don't go into an occupation just because they hired you. You go into what God has called you to be. Now, I'm not saying that in, in that journey to where God has called you to be, there isn't stepping stones that isn't perfect. But in those stepping stones, you're trusting God that he's taking you to where he wants you to be. And if we understand work and we understand that, we, that in that, those stepping stones, God has you there for a purpose and that you are there to bring glory to, to God and to serve others in that work, it can be a very, very satisfying thing. When you are no longer working for a boss, you're no longer working for coworkers, you're no longer working for a company, you find yourself that you're working as unto the Lord. And that can be very, very, very gratifying. So then we talked about uh, work that transcends. Last week we talked about work that transcends. And, and, that, and not merely just providing for ourselves, moving past just survival to good works for the simple fact that the love of God propels us, expecting nothing in return. See, good works, works that you don't get a paycheck for, works that you do expecting nothing in return, works that you do for people they have nothing to offer you. Those transcend the works that we do turn a paycheck. When we do things out of the simple love of God that lives within us, and each one of you has the love of God living within you, you have been recreated by love himself. So you have the love of God in you. And if you say you can't love someone, you're right. Not in your own strength. Tap into the love of God. The same love of God that loved you when you were unlovable. 
But there, there is a work that transcends, and that, and that is good works. And we've seen that Jesus watches our works and what we do. And he says that if even you gave a cup of cold water to someone in the name of Jesus, he says, you will be rewarded for it. See, we always think that there's big works, but I, I, I guarantee you that there are going to be some great rewards for what works that we thought were insignificant here on earth. Today, we're going to look at works that we're going to avoid. Because not all good works, not all works are good works. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. In life, we're supposed to examine the things that we do, why we do it, and figure out if what we're doing, what we're spending our time, our strength, our effort doing is good or not. Because we can spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of strength doing things that are not good for yourself and for humanity. We're going to examine four categories or four works that we as believers should avoid. First one, evil works. Ooh, sounds scary, huh? Evil works. I mean, this, this, should, be, this should be a no-brainer. But uh, there's some things that we need to look at here. We are to reject evil, evil works. See, John chapter 3, verse 16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God sent Jesus not because we were lovely, but because he is love. God sent Jesus to do a good work. He sent Jesus to do a good work. And why, why did Jesus come? Did he come to so that those might perish or so that they might have eternal life? Jesus came so the world, humanity, might have eternal life, not perish. That's the good news. The good news is God doesn't want to send you to hell. He doesn't want you to perish. God is for you. He's not against you. He never has been. So we should talk about what Christ has done to rescue humanity rather than talk, cement that idea, reinforce the idea that people are separate from God. Jesus came, it says, and he reconciled the world unto himself. Think about that. Jesus reconciled the entire world unto himself. So there is not a single sin that is keeping an individual out of the kingdom of God. It's all been reconciled. What's reconciled mean? Paid. It's the balance. In Jesus was an overpayment. So what's holding people back? Faith. Not believing that they've been reconciled unto God. God has reconciled himself unto us. Now we need to reconcile ourselves unto God. So Jesus came into the world out of love. And in John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world. God did not send Jesus to judge the world. Because the world was, going, was already judged. We were already in sin. Sin is the judge. Sin is, the wages of sin is death. Not the wages that God hands out is death. The wages of sin is death. If you're in sin, it's already death. It's, you've already been judged. Jesus came and took on humanity's sin so that he could receive judgment. Jesus didn't come in the world to judge. For, I mean, this, this is simple scriptures. People should know this. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The only reason Jesus came is so that we might be saved from the judgment of sin. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has, has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We were in judgment already. The wages of sin is death. We had all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
All humanity was judged already. We were judged in our unrighteousness. We were judged in our self-righteousness. Jesus came to deliver us from the, that judgment of death. In John chapter 3, 19, this is the judgment. That light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Jesus, the light of the world, showed up. And he demonstrated the true nature of God. He was God incarnate. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And all your made-up ideas of what God is like, if it doesn't look like Jesus, you're, you're worshiping a false god. Jesus is God. Jesus was life in the midst of death. Jesus was light in the midst of darkness. Jesus was absolute goodness in the midst of of evil. He illuminates the works of men. Jesus illuminates our works. And some love darkness rather than light. Men choose either to love light, to love life, to love Jesus, or they reject it and cling, cling to their dark and evil ways. And remain in the judgment. In John chapter 7, 7, it says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. When he was talking to the disciples, in, or talking to these people and saying that, that uh, the world cannot hate you, why? Because at that time, they were of the world. But there will become a time when the world will hate you. And that is when your good works shines the light of Jesus on evil works. The world will hate you when you start walking in your identity, just the way it hated Jesus. So in all essence, it's, they don't really hate you. They hate Christ in you. You understand that? When we reject evil works and manifest the works of righteousness, the world will hate the Christ that is in you. You will be persecuted when the light of Christ illuminates darkness through you. In 1 John 3.11, it says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for that reason, did, and for what reason did he slay, slay him? Because his deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. It says here, it says that we are to love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. So if you go back and see what Cain and Abel's deeds were, it was all a worship experience. Cain was trying to, trying to, Bring something as a self-righteous act unto God. He brought, he brought, the Bible says, he just brought the produce of his, of his harvest or whatever. But it says that Abel brought from his flock the firstborn and the best. So Abel was one of faith, it says, the Bible says, and Cain was one of works because his was just trying to appease God and Abel's was one that was trusting God because when you bring the firstborn, it takes faith because you don't know if there's going to be a secondborn or a thirdborn or a fourthborn, right? So human logic is let's make sure I have plenty and then I'll give. And that's what, that's what Cain did. And, G, and because of this act of righteousness versus unrighteousness, it caused evil to be produced in the heart of man, and Cain killed his brother. See, this whole, the whole 
fallen nature of man is based off the idea of trying to be good. The knowledge of good and evil. And people get very, very upset when you give them the idea that they are not good. Especially church people. Especially religious people. Especially people that have worked really, really hard to be good. They, get so, they, they can get so mad that they'll arrest an innocent man and crucify him to a cross. Because that's what Jesus did. He showed up to illuminate that their deeds were evil. And there's nothing harder, there's nothing harder than preaching the gospel to someone that thinks that they're good. It's, e- it's easy to preach the gospel to someone that knows that they're a sinner, knows that they've fallen short of the glory of God. But those that trust in their own self-righteousness are hard. It's hard for them to humble themselves under the finished work of Jesus Christ. So as you can see, evil works aren't necessarily what we think of. It's not all the people in prisons. It's not. It's people sitting in pews. Jesus came to destroy these evil works. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. I love that. Because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. So you're sitting here thinking, well, I've sinned, Chad, so am I a child of the devil? What this is saying here is when you know that you're a child of God, this is all about identity. When you know that you are a child of God, when you know that you're righteous, when you know that the life of God dwells in you, what's the corresponding thing that happens in your life? When you believe it by faith, guess what happens? You stop sinning. Sinners sin because that's what sinners do. Are you a sinner? So why would you sin? See, it's the grace of God that empowers. It says we don't sin because of the power of God that's in us. It's God's grace that has delivered us. Jesus destroyed the the works of the devil. He came to destroy the evil works of the devil. He destroyed the works of the devil. Because sin has been destroyed, now we can receive the abundance of grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The very nature and the life of God lives in us. Now we need to believe it. Most people go to church every Sunday and they hear about how rotten sinners they are. And if that's what you hear all the time, if you always are hearing, all we're doing is reinforcing the works of the devil. You are not, you don't belong to the devil. You belong to God. You are a child of God filled with God himself. And you have the power and the ability through the grace of God to overcome any sin in your life. If if a child of God is still sinning, guess what? You're just living a lie. You're living a lie. That's not your identity. The Word of God educates us on the nature of Satan's work and the fruit of sin for our protection. So you've got to believe that God loves you. You've got to believe that God is good. And you've got to believe that God wants the best for you. A lot of people do evil works because 
They don't believe that God's good. They don't believe that God loves them. They don't believe that God wants the best for them. So it's up to them to make sure they get what they need. See, we need to look at the Word of God not as a rigid, do this or get beat law. You need to look at the Word of God as a love letter sent to you. That I want to protect you. I want, to, I want the best life possible for you. I know all things. And I know the direction that you're going to in leads to heartache, leads to destruction, leads to death. And I want to guide you in the ways and the paths of righteousness. We got our young people, they've been up here through this whole series. Listen, if you want to rebel, rebel. But rebel against the world. Choose not to go the way that the world is going. Choose to trust God. True, choose to do it God's way. Choose to be a light in the darkness. Choose to do good works in the midst of an evil and perverse generation. Choose to allow Jesus to use you to bring glory to the kingdom of God. We need to choose. And you're going to see this in just a minute. As children of the kingdom of light, we are called to illuminate the world. We are to embrace our true nature in Christ and expose the works of Satan. That's why Christians get so persecuted. And we're not, in America, it's just, well, now they're going in and shooting them. Who would ever think that? Light exposes darkness. And we got to make sure that when our light exposes darkness, it comes with an embrace of God, not with a stick. We got to let them know that they are included, come into the light. Just as you are. And allow Jesus to do a work in you like he's done in us. Because there's one thing about a light going out and not having any saltiness in it. No flavor. And that's why we're called to be salt and light. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by, the, by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. This is a very, very... You need to write this scripture down and go home and meditate on it. To what this is saying. See, we have the idea that sin has separated us from God. There is nowhere, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, again, Nowhere in the Bible does it say that sin separates us from God. Sin doesn't separate God from us. But what this is, says is that our sin, our wicked ways, separate us from God. God does not leave. He never leaves. It says, and you who once were alienated. What's that mean? Separated. You were alienated and you were enemies. Where? In your mind. You believe that you were separated from God. You're, you believe that God wanted nothing to do with you. Why? Because you were wicked. But that's the good news of the gospel is that he knows how wicked you were. He knows your evil ways. He knows the things that what's in the heart of man. And guess what? He loves you anyways. He died for you anyways. He wants to transform you. And that path, that life that you are living is not you. you. He never designed you to live that life. That's not your identity. And he has a plan and purpose for your life. He has an identity for you. And he wants you to trust him and let him reveal your true nature and the true identity that you have in Christ Jesus. We have to get past that we our works, our evil things have separated us from God. We have never been separated from God. 
Never, ever. Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to believers, right? Notice that it's our job as believers to cast off works of darkness and, let, and put on the armor of light. There's lots of Christians that's wearing the wrong clothes. And again, this is an identity thing. You're walking around with works of darkness on instead of allowing, instead of casting those off and say, that's no longer who I am. That's no longer my identity. Those, those clothes don't even fit me anymore. They're uncomfortable when I wear them. But when I put on the armor of light, it's like those pajamas that you put on when you go home and no one's around, you know, with the holes in them and everything. It, it doesn't matter what they look like. It's just I can move. I'm comfortable. I can rest in these. And guess what? Wouldn't you wear those, those, those type of clothing with people that know you the best? I can be myself. And in the presence of God, God wants you to be so comfortable in your identity and who you are in him that you can be yourself in the presence of God. It is our job to cast it off. And it's our job to put it on. That's, and it's what it's talking about here is, you, again, you need to start seeing yourself as a child of the king. You need to start seeing yourself as God sees you. That the old man is dead, and you've been made alive in him. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Works of darkness are unfruitful, and they're poisonous, and they rob, they kill, and they destroy. And they destroy. So what are the works of what are the works of evil? And here are a few. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time, Past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When it's talking about will not inherit the kingdom of God, you will not experience the kingdom of God in your life. It's not talking about going to, going to heaven or going to hell. Kingdom of God is now. And God has a perfect and better way. If you're going to live in the kingdom of darkness, you're going to reap from the kingdom of darkness. You won't inherit the promises of God if you're living in the kingdom of darkness. Right? You can't sow Watermelons expect a crop of corn. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. And what he's saying is this is not your nature. And you're up there looking, well, Chad, some of that stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm not only done, I'm doing it. Jealousies? Hatred? Murder? Okay, murders? Drunkenness, rivalries, and the like? Sorcery? Sorcery, adultery, hatred, contentions, outbursts of wrath. I got, I got four kids. Sometimes I have outbursts. But we have to see that that's not who we really are. That you might do those things, but you don't live there. And when you, every time you do those things, it shows that you're not trusting God. You're not trusting God. See, that's what's so funny about sin, especially sins like this, is it's all lack of faith in God. Whenever we do things to gratify our flesh in an unhealthy way, because God gave us our flesh, and we can't, we can't gratify it in a healthy way. Right? There are things that can satisfy our flesh. Food is great. I love food. But if I 
find happiness if I try to make myself feel better with food or I overindulge. Guess what? Something that God has given to us that is meant to be enjoyed can turn into something that can destroy. Right? Sex. I don't know if you know this, but God invented sex. God invented sex. And he wants you to have lots of sex. But he wants you to do it his way. And he knows that there is a relationship that comes together with a husband and a wife that is so intimate that he actually compares it to Christ in the church. He wants you to know that. He wants you to experience that. And when we go out of his will, and we go out of his way, we all of a sudden, we bring a whole bunch of garbage with us into that relationship. We bring a bunch of heartache. We bring scars. Can you imagine... Never sinning and coming into relationship with Christ. How bold would you be? How confident would you be? How would your relation, how would your, your prayers go unhindered because there is no, nothing separating you from God? Well, the, the truth of the matter is that's true because you have been made new in Christ Jesus. But because we bring all this baggage with us into the relationship, now we think that God probably has a, a hidden agenda. He knows everything. He knows what I'm thinking. I'm praying right now, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way in the world he's going to answer this. Because I know what I just did. See, we bring that into the relationship. And even though it doesn't affect Christ's attitude towards us affects our attitude towards Christ. You have to choose for yourself. You have to choose. You have to choose to trust God in his ways or trust yourself. In James chapter 3, verse 14, he says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. Lie against the truth. What's the truth? Who you are in Christ Jesus. Lie not against the truth. Don't think you're righteous. Don't think you're acting righteous. Don't think you think you're doing good works if you have strife and envy in your hearts. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. When you allow this type of work to manifest in your life, it's like putting a sign out in front of your house saying, all the devils in hell, come and hang out with us. See, envy and strife, what is it? it, it it's, those are things that you are worried about someone, what someone else is doing and not trusting that God is going to take care of you. We, we, we focus on others rather than focusing on God. And it's an evil work, and it will destroy. We shouldn't spend any time in envy and strife because it doesn't prosper you at all. Number two, we got four. We got to get going. We are to reject works for salvation. Evil works, those are pretty obvious. We spend a lot of time on it, though. But there are, there is a, there are works that are just as evil as murder, stealing, lying, sexual immorality. But they are well accepted in religion. And they're even applauded. It's the work of self-righteousness. And there's a lot of people working really hard at this work. 
and it's a dead work. The works of man, no matter how good or sincere they might be, will, will never, ever produce righteousness. I don't know what I wrote up there. It will never produce righteousness. Our engaging in so-called works can lull us in, this is what's so scary about it, it can lull us into a false sense of security until we are, are erroneously thinking that we have somehow earned, deserved, or become worthy of salvation. When you start thinking that you are worthy of salvation, that's why religion of the day hated Jesus. Because he said that all their works amounted, according to the Apostle Paul, to a big pile of dung. And you don't want to know what that really translates from the Greek. It's a big steaming pile of dung. The prophet well described this reality apart from Christ. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can boast, but our boasting needs to be in Christ. It's amazing how many people, when you ask them, you know, are you a believer, you go to church, you know, are you a Christian even, and they start boasting in their denomination. Your denomination can't save you. Going to Karis New Testament Church cannot save you. It is Jesus that we put our hope into. It's Jesus that we put our trust into. The mere translation puts it this way. Your salvation is not a reward for good behavior. It was a grace thing from start to finish. You had no hand in it. Your salvation, you had no hand in it. God did it completely independent of you. Why? Because if he allowed you to be in this covenant, you would have screwed it up. But God had to make the covenant with humanity. How do you make a covenant with humanity if humanity is the weak link and is going to screw it up? I'll send my son. I'll send, I'll, I will come. The, part of the Trinity will come and put on human flesh and I will make my covenant with myself. And then I'll invite all of humanity to the party. You had no hand in it. Even the gift to believe simply reflects his faith. Do you know your faith is not your own? It's a grace thing. Faith is grace. You want to know why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you hear the word of God, when you hear the gospel of, the, of, of God, it does something. With that word comes the power of salvation. With that word comes faith. God says, here is faith. Believe. The word has the faith in it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the faith to believe was not even your own. You had nothing to do with this. God did the whole thing. He put it all together, and he says, here, I'll even empower you to believe. But unfortunately, in that same act of empowering people to believe, and I've seen it on people's faces before, I've seen it with my old eyes, that the faith of God was manifest in front of them, and then instead of embracing it, they run. And the Bible talks about that, those that loved Darkness more than light. Where are we? 
Even the gift to believe simply reflects his faith. By grace you are saved. You are saved by what in the word? By grace you are you are saved by the gift of faith. Grace reveals who we are, and the faith of God persuades us of it. Grace reveals who we are in Christ Jesus, and the faith of God persuades us that it's true. Think about it. If you really thought about what God is saying through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you have been made righteous, independent of your actions, that you have been given his Holy Spirit, that you are the temple of the living God, that you are complete in him, that you have been united with God himself, there's no way that we could ever be persuaded of it unless he, he did it through the act of grace and faith. Because it sounds nuts. I, I know where I was. I even know where I was yesterday. But by faith, I can believe that my true identity is in Christ Jesus, that I am the righteousness of God, that I'm secure in him, that I'm holy and without blame, without blemish. That takes faith. You did not invent faith. It was God's faith to begin with. It is from faith to faith. He is both the source and the conclusion of faith. If this could be accomplished through any actions of yours, then there would be a ground for boasting. And we can't boast in anything but Jesus. Many of the works that people have often relied on to earn salvation have to do with the the attempted compliance regarding the Mosaic Law and the laws of the Old Testament. Right? If you want to be holy, if you want to be righteous... You've got to keep the law. Let's read the Bible. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For, <laughs> for no one... No one, no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. It amazes me how many people do not know that this is the gospel. The gospel says, stop trying to obey the law to be made right with God. Believe that you have been made right with God and obey the law unconsciously. Why? Because that's your identity. You're no longer darkness. You're no longer evil. You're no, lo- you're no longer in death. You're in, lo- in life. You're no longer a child of the evil one. You're a child of God. That's who you are. You know, what are their names? Henry, what's who's the, the princes over in England? Harry and, I don't know, Charles? I don't know. William? Who cares? It don't matter. But do you think that they have a different outlook on life? Do you think that they have different ways that they act because of where they were born, the family that they were born in? Yeah. Do you think that when people realize that they've been born into the kingdom of God and they have his nature in them, should they have a different outlook on life? Amen. There are so many. There are so many people that are are. Maybe they've had a terrible family life, and they're still living in the identity of that family life, rather than leaving that identity and saying that identity was going, it was to destroy me, that it was going to bring. Gener- I was going to act out the same things that I've seen in that, that family. But guess what? I've been adopted. I've been recreated. I've been translated into a new family. And that's my identity. Do you see how this is all about right believing? It's not about doing. Once we get our minds right, 
and thinking right and seeing who we are in Christ, the doing part is easy. It all of a sudden becomes a fruit that just grows naturally instead of a work. Interesting. Where are we at? Trying to justify ourselves by adhering to the Mosaic law or any law is futile akin to trying to earn salvation through dead works. So what are dead works? They are works that are incapable of producing life. We need a clear conscience when it comes to dead works. We need to clear our conscience when it comes to dead works. You have to have a clear conscience if you want to get rid of dead works. Because most of our dead works we do trying to clear our conscience. You have to see that your conscience is already clear in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That seems weird, doesn't it? It's going to cleanse us from dead works to do works. Why? Because in the times past, your conscience was seared that I got to do this, this, and this to be approved by God. And the, and the, the blood of Jesus Christ wants to cleanse you of that conscience that, and see that you have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because you have a clear conscience, because your conscience is completely clean and clear, now we can serve the living God. Why? Because we're serving him now out of the grace. We're serving him out of our identity rather than trying to obtain what we have already have. Great book by Andrew Womack is You've Already Got It. And a great picture on that book is a dog chasing its own tail. Why are you trying to become what you already are? Number three, we reject, we reject works motivated by fear. We reject works motivated by fear. Many people think of God as a taskmaster rather than a loving father. There's a lot of people that are doing things, and it's totally motivated by fear. Look at the following list. And tell me if any of these are things that you have felt. And if you have felt any of these, it's an indication that you do not have a clear picture of your Heavenly Father. You feel like you never measure up. You see yourself as inferior. You worry that God is always angry at you. You think that God is always disappointed with you. You feel like no matter what you do, it's never enough. You perceive that, that God demands you to meet impossible standards. You go through the motions and the mechanics of religious activity, but you have no joy. You feel like you are a gerbil on an exercise wheel. The, the, <laughs> I've felt like that. You live in a frantic state. Fearful of making a mistake and missing God's will. If you've ever felt that way, and I'm not, I've felt that way, there are still times when I have to, by faith, say, no, that's not who my Heavenly Father is. I don't have to worry about that. Right? We're walking this thing out, right? All of this is based in fear that your Heavenly Father is not going to take care of you, that your Heavenly Father loves you, doesn't love you, that your Heavenly Father needs you to do things to make him happy. Now, are there things, does he get pleased when we walk out the truth in our life? Yeah, that pleases him. But why does it please him? Because it's best for his child. It doesn't, you don't affect God. You're not going to make God have a bad day. He, everything God does, he does it for us. He doesn't need us. We need him. If this list describes you, get to know Jesus, our great shepherd who takes care of you, the one that's willing to leave the 99 and go after the one. Or the story of the good father. You might know it as the 
story of the prodigal son. But that's not what that story is about at all. The story is about a good father. The good father who scans the horizon, waiting for his son, waiting for his daughter to come home. And when he sees him on the horizon, the father runs to him, the Bible says, wraps, engulfs him in his embrace, and it says literally that he starts kissing him and doesn't, can't stop kissing him. That's your heavenly father. And then he takes your old garments off, puts new garments on you, puts a ring on your finger, and throws a party. Yep, amen. See, here's what fear-based works look like. It looks, these works look like this. I need to pray. I'm not praying enough. I'm not studying enough. You're not fasting enough. <laughs> You're supposed to be in full-time ministry. You're not in full-time ministry. You're out of the will of God. You were, you, if you were really saved, you'd be more fruitful. You're not even called to the ministry. All of this is nothing more than navel-gazing. All of this is nothing more than looking at self. All of this has nothing to do with Christ. All of this is about losing your infatuation with Jesus, the overwhelming beauty of Jesus and who you are in him, and looking to self. Number four, we're almost done. We reject works unto false gods. You might be thinking, false gods? This is America. We don't have false gods in America. We even got God we trust on our money. Well, maybe that's your false god. False gods are much more than just having a false religion. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. He's talking to Christians here. Guard yourselves from idols. And the New Living Translation puts it this way. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Children of God must be vigilant to keep God and godly values as top priorities. Certainly higher than jobs and money and prestige. That's the American idols. Think about Daniel. Daniel was, he, he, he went from being a slave in captivity to increasing in knowledge above all his peers in the Babylonian captive in Babylon, actually becoming an advisor. And because he was so prosperous in what he, what God, through God, those that were the evil one persecuted him, and they made a law that you couldn't pray. So what did Daniel do? Hey, I just got to the top of the food chain here in Babylon. I, 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 I want to make sure I have my prestige. I want to make sure I, I still have nice clothing to wear. I, I still want to have that penthouse that I have. So I think I'm going to adhere to this not praying thing. No. He opened up the windows, and he prayed anyways. And what happened? Everything ended wonderfully. No, he got thrown into the lion's den. And then God rescued him from the lion's den. And then a decree went out from the king that everyone was to worship the God of Daniel. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. The fiery furnace, they wouldn't bow down to the idol. They wouldn't do what everybody else was doing. And God rescued them from the, the furnace. In James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. That's what we talk about all the time. But there's a part three. You got orphans, you got widows, and then you have and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Refusing to let the world corrupt you. Pure and 
Genuine religion is not just caring for orphans and widows, but refusing. Refusing to let, not, to not let the world corrupt you. Guarding against corruption from the godless world and keeping oneself unspotted, uncontaminated from the world. There are so many things that, there are little things that we do in our life that seem like, well, if I just tell this one little white lie, if I just step on this one person to get, get promoted in work, if I, if I just take credit for something that I, don't, I didn't really do, if I just, there's all these things, these little teeny things that we can do that are idols in our life because we're depending on them rather than God, other than God to promote ourselves. Promotion comes from the Lord. You've got, you got a scripture to stand on in promotion. We need to make sure that our time, our energy, and our effort, our work is done wisely. Every false way, every counterfeit path is just a distraction from the true joy and fulfillment that God has for us as we walk in his ways and fulfill his plans for our life. We have to be wise when it comes to our time. We have to be wise when it comes to our energy. We have to be wise when we, it comes to our effort. Because there are so many things that are trying to distract us from the true and living way. There are so many things that are trying to take the place of God in our life. There are so many things that are trying to rob, kill, and destroy. And it's very, very subtle. Like, the, like as the serpent deceived Eve, it looks good. It's meant to make me wise. It's food and nourishment. Why wouldn't God want me to have those things? It's the same old lie we've heard from the very beginning, and we can't be deceived with it anymore. Life is too short and far too precious to waste it on stacking cordwood. Stacking cordwood. Spending all our time on dead work, stacking cordwood. That when it goes through the refiner's fire, it just goes up in smoke. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a good, good Father. And we rest in your goodness. The cross is your exclamation point on history of your goodness. You are the suffering servant. You are the one that was tempted. You are the one that was, was beat. You are the one that was <laughs> suffered in all ways like we have. But you did it without sinning. You are our sa salvation. You are the work of God. You are the work of God. And Father, we thank you that our works are joined to that work. And all of our works flow from the grace of God, your divine ability working in our lives. And we forsake dead work. We forsake evil works. We, we forsake works unto false gods. And we trust in you. And we thank you that as we put on the armor of light, we're going to see mighty and glorious things done for the kingdom of God. We are going to be rebel, rebels against this world, this culture, to, against the kingdom of darkness. We are going to rebel and show them a better way. We're going to rebel and watch the power of God be manifest in our community, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplace. And it's all through the mighty power of Jesus' name. We're going to find joy and true fulfillment and, and true contentment in the work that you have planned for us from the beginning of time. And we're going to do it all for the glory of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved highly favored and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.